0: good morning folks it's time for boat talk here on community radio weru fm blue hill 89.9 102.9 in bangor i'm alan sprague along here with the other rusty anchor mike joyce to your two co-hosts of the boat talk call-in radio show we're uh, here for navigating through the foggiest of notions by remaining calm and feeling swell while waving with the boys We've got a whole raft of issues to uh, go through today, and we have a, a special guest. Uh, cen- Senator Dennis Damon is here with us today to, to uh, talk about several issues. But I think we're going to jump right down to the uh, upcoming Maine Boats and Harbor
1: We'll, we'll get there. Uh, I believe they will uh, be a couple minutes before they get here. But anyway, uh, we got We do have a bunch of stuff to talk about, Boat Talk, this morning. Uh, comes around once a month on the second Tuesday, and... Uh, Boy, you start uh, talking to people and then thinking of stuff, and you go, how will you fit that all in an hour? This is, of course, the time. It's the middle of August. We do Boat Talk monthly year-round, and when they first asked us to do that, we thought, what well, are we going to talk about in February? But we talk about ice boats and, and uh, other stuff, and we never have time filling the uh, spot. But this is the time right now. It's, it's, it's high summer. Oh, boy. It's the middle of August. If not now, When? If you dream of boat rides or uh you know uh the main boats and harbor show that we 'll be talking about and uh, or anything else uh you know if not now, when it is the time it 's the glory season it 's you know it 's now, yep, so um, everybody 's turning off their radio and going out sailing now It would be a fair way to approach it i uh, of course like uh, good good uh music or or a good uh boat discussion while i 'm sailing, so boat talk uh, on the cockpit speakers. We hope somebody's listening out on the water this morning. Solicit any kind of calls, uh 1-866-625-9378 is the number here. And the way it works is uh, um ordinarily we'd have Giffy Full in as a co-host. Giffy's not available this morning. It's just the uh, press of summertime as uh not not uh you know everybody's got too much to do in the summertime. So no Giffy this morning. We traded him on Senator uh Damon here. And Dennis, uh, you know the way it works around Botox. Anybody's welcome at any time to add anything you want, and you know so uh, whatever uh, whatever moves you just uh, pipe right up. Is so how can, it works. Sir. I can feel right free to jump in if I feel want, just but. at home, D. And anybody else <laughs> that wants to wander by on the telephone one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Pretty much interrupt what we are working on to talk to somebody. You know how that is. Yeah, yeah. And we do have all kinds of different subjects this morning. Uh, uh, we'll be talking to somebody from Maine Boats and Harbors and Homes Magazine pretty quick here. Uh, Raw Faith is a perennial subject uh, with Dennis. We hope to talk about the boat school this morning and offshore drilling. And in the uh, last part of the program, would like to ha- uh, have uh, Bert Snow from Rockland on the telephone. And Bert. Has written a book, a great book called "The Main Beam: An Informal History of Documented Vessels Built at Rockland, Maine, from 1795 to 2005."
0: Just an absolutely delightful book, and we hope to have Bert on the uh, Bert an am- Snow on the phone. Amazing amount of work in that in that book, all the research and, and keeping track of everything. Plus, a lot of great photos too. It's a it's a, as you say, it's there's a, great a book. lot
1: of interesting stuff in there. So we look ta- forward to talking to Bert as well. Great um, article in the paper yesterday about a uh, Rottweiler who sniffs out right whales in the Bay of Fundy. <laughs> okay,
2: he's. So, uh, does they have to be up on the shore, or can he get him in the water?
1: No, he goes on boats. S- headline is: Scat sniffing dog helps scientists study right whale population, and this, ro- this is a big. Ro- uh, Big, slobbery, drooling male Rottweiler, bear-sized male Rottweiler, okay? His first career was as a drug-sniffing dog. Apparently, that didn't work out. His second career was as a grizzly-sniffing dog, and he overheated in the mountain air in the summertime, in Hmm. the sunshine. So now he's uh, sent to the Bay of Fundy, and he's been trained to sniff whale poop which apparently is one of the world's outstanding smells, by all accounts. <laughs> right, whale poop? You're, you're, you apparently need to burn your clothes afterwards, okay? Mm. It floats, I guess, uh, upon, you know, sure, lay, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm, laying, getting,
2: I'm getting the picture. Sure, now, yeah. but,
1: but then it falls apart and sinks. And, and this dog, they put him in the bow of the boat. And uh, you're out in the Bay of Fundy, you want to scoop up some whale poop now. He's like a radar. He's like a a poop-sniffing radar, and he sends in the bow of the boat, and he wags his tail. And when he's enthusiastic about that, you know you're on to some. They can get just fragmented samples out of the water, even, on this dog's nose. A big old slobbery male Rottweiler uh, being cool in the Bay of Fundy, sniffing out right whales. And, of course, there was one up on the beach, a Grand Banan, and the College of the Atlantic just dissected it. Yeah, that's true. Try to figure out what went on and... uh, Bet that was a nice time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what he might have been able to smell, but Speaking no. Speaking
1: of burning your clothes, yeah. Uh, yeah, but the right whales, boy, we got to be careful. Uh, we are at the uh, limit of their population. There's uh, another issue around the fisheries of uh, protection of right whales versus protection of fishermen, you know.
2: You know, there has been a lot of uh, effort uh, on the part of those trying to protect, and I'm one, the right whales in terms of limiting the fish gear, but... The part that has been left out, as far as I'm concerned, is protecting the right whales from the fish, from the um, boats, the ship strikes. That's right. Um, and there's an awful lot of ship traffic in the Gulf of Maine, commercial ship traffic, but also military ship traffic. And there are no regulations whatsoever, as far as I know, on protecting the whale from those. And uh, many of the um, whales that have been recovered have shown evidence of ship strike. Now, some, we, the reported ones that we see, and we see all kinds of uh, footage about it, is that they'll be entangled in fishing gear, and indeed some of them are. Right. But to it seems to try to protect them by just um, over-regulating the fisheries as opposed to doing some regulation with the ships uh, is not a fair balance to me.
1: Tricky business. I have never uh, hit a right whale, thank God, but we ran over an ocean sunfish in a 44-foot sailboat on our way to Nova Scotia one time. You did? Ocean sunfish. This is the uh, high, high point of their uh, range. They're kind of loggy in the cold water here. And ocean sunfish, I, I guess they go up to about 4,000 pounds. They're a remarkable-looking beast. They're funniest thing in the world to look at that looks like a whale. A whale's head with no, wh- no, no whale underneath. Right, right, right. Yeah, and he's got, got a the tiny dorsal, dorsal fin, dorsal
2: fin yeah. just flopped, yeah. flopped back, and back and forth. And forth. Yeah.
1: We were on our way to Nova Scotia, and uh, we biffed one with the boat and uh, circled it, and there was a blue mark on its back, and it seemed fine, and we went on our way. Mm. Um, you know, it was uh, surprisingly easy to do. We knew that we had hit it. Um, we didn't hit it that hard, but uh, you know, in a big ship, you'd have no idea of hitting a whale or anything no, like that. No, yeah.
2: We've got to be on the lookout now, I guess, too for uh, manatees here in the Gulf of Maine. You know, there's one that's worked... It's... Oh, well, you know, you can't be serious. <laughs> well, no, of course I am. I heard this on the radio, so it's got to be true. Oh. And uh, apparently it worked its way up the coast from Florida, their natural habitat, and is up into the Hudson River now. Things about 10 feet long, 4 feet wide, all barnacle-encrusted and coming up out of the water and Rearing its ugly head, or pretty head, I guess. Because it
1: can, right? uh, I yeah. guess. And yeah. the, last year there was a beluga whale on the coast of Maine, right. a white whale. Right. That got a lot of attention and was very fond of, uh, you know, people in their cockpits yeah. on the, yeah. in their boats in the morning to feed it and, uh, you know. And there have been,
2: uh, in the past, too, the... Um Oh, the orca, the the killer whale. <clears throat> Pardon me. There, there have been uh, sightings of those on the coast as well.
0: well I've seen one personally. In, have Bass, you? in Bass Harbor? Yeah,
2: that's right. They came right up into the harbor.
1: Interesting business. Boat talk this morning. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. The uh, species mix of the coast of Maine, of course, is is uh, changing all the time. You know, some naturally, but let's face it, a lot of it is the pressure of. Uh, you know man in the gulf of maine we showed up here because there was such a great resource of fishery um in the gulf of maine originally that's what attracted people here cod in particular oh uh, yeah you, you know uh, hard to bat them out of the way to make room for the boat to go through the water. Apparently, uh, little lo- uh, big lobsters started at four feet, uh, you know, sort of They'd thing. Wa- just
0: wash up after storms. You can yeah. pick them up on the beach in the seaweed,
2: right?
1: Yeah, and a lot of those fish uh, aren't there anymore. But um, you know, things do change. I one thing I think I understand is uh, sharks are now occupy a much larger uh, uh, niche in the Gulf of Maine than they used to. If you think of an ecosystem which has, you know, there's a place for somebody to live. There's, uh, you know, all mm-hmm. kinds of niches for different animals. Um, like you catch a brook trout out of the brook, pretty soon another, another trout's gonna move into that little hole there. There's a niche, there's a good mm-hmm. place for somebody to live. So when uh, one species is perhaps uh, not there anymore, there's a house, there's some place for somebody to live, somebody else will come along. And, and one thing I understand is sharks. Or, mm are definitely on the rise of the Gulf of Maine.
2: But at the same time, the dogfish, which is a variety of shark, spiny dogfish, um, is there is a concern about their population. Now, some fishermen will tell you the dogs are just as thick as they ever were, but they are a particularly long-lived animal. They give um, birth to their pups live with little yolk sacs on them. And um, in order to get the the fish up to the size of, of... maturity and spawning it takes a number of years and so if there has been an overfishing and you see that there's a large uh, or or primarily um, a juvenile community then that doesn't have the same strength as a total community of of the species the large ones and the small ones and there is some concern of overfishing there i'm one of the three commissioners from maine that's a member of the Atlantic States Marine Fisheries Commission. That's a federal commission that that um, manages fish stocks from Maine to Florida, various varieties. And the spiny dogfish is one. You know, another one that's a, that's a bothersome to me in particular is the eel, the American eel. Um, we have a, a, a pretty aggressive uh, fishery for the small eels, the elvers, the glass eels. right? And, you know, those are all babies. They're all heading from the Sagasso Sea where they were all born.
1: Sure, 3,000 in a bucket is a pound. Absolutely, yeah. yes, that's right. And can and, be worth and, hundreds and, and, of dollars. An awful lot of money. Yeah. And, so,
2: and they come up into the rivulets and streams all along the East Coast and they go into the fresh water where they'll live most of their life and grow and then eventually go back out, back to the Sagasso Sea to give birth to all those other little elvers and, and the process continues. Well, if we interrupt that, we interrupt it with over-harvesting of the young. Right. or if we interrupt it with their uh, emergence back from the freshwater to the salt water, and they have to go through a series of turbines, which makes a lot of small eel pieces out of a long, mm-hmm. big eel, um, that has a disruptive factor to that whole species. And though we may not think of eels as particularly... Um, I don't know, pretty creatures. They certainly have a place to play and a role to play in the whole ecosystem. So when you start damaging one, I don't care if it's eels or it's lobsters or it's cod or it's urchins or whatever else. When you start damaging one, you're damaging all. And that's what we have
1: to look at. couldn't agree more. And also... the things that we don't, uh, cucumbers, for instance, yeah. uh, urchins, eels, we don't value them much. They're very valuable in, in the east. In other places. And uh, those little glass eels that they catch in the nets at the mouth of all the streams here, they send those over to the far east and they ranch them. They, grow, they them grow them into out. adults and then they eat them. Yep. So speak yep. of, uh, you know, sending a fish off with its head on. And yep. So anyway, we have a couple phone calls this morning, and I believe uh, we got somebody on the phone once to talk about the main boats and harbors. And Holmes Magazine Show. Good morning.
3: Good morning. How are you guys?
1: Who'd we get, Dave?
3: No, this is John Hanson. Dave John. is Dave is down on the waterfront. He sends his uh, regrets. He is putting together finger floats and uh, dropping mooring blocks so we can get the roughly eighty boats that are coming to be displayed in the water safe and secure for the
1: weekend. Well, you got some work to do there, and uh, the main boats. Homes and Harbors show is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday down to Rockland, and this like uh, is a month worth of shows down there, isn't it, John? I mean,
3: it is, and um, you know, I, uh, I I used to just joke and laugh and, and say that you know Rockland was saved by the blues, but I really think that Paul Benjamin's uh, Blues Festival was a you know a, a fabulous. Addition to to Rockland, and then the people who put on the Lobster Festival have done a superb job.
1: That comes after, or, and then you follow uh, them this then week. We,
3: then we follow up and show off some extraordinary boats built by extraordinary Maine builders. So it's uh, it is a, a month of really interesting stuff about life on the coast.
1: And what a spot too! The Harbor Park in Rockland really is an excellent venue.
3: It's, it's unbelievable. I I don't know of a, another. Well, I can't think of another place in the coast of Maine that we could do it and the city of rockland and the harbor masters everyone that we deal with down there the guys who 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 put the lobster festival on i just got word from from my folks down that the lobster festival people did an extraordinary job cleaning up the site which is just you know my hats off them because you know they got a lot of people coming in eating a lot of food over their event so and i i guess they did a great job and the the park looks fabulous
1: the uh, spot is great on land there, but also it's connected to the wa- it's waterfront. It's uh, dockage there, and of course at the Maine Boats Homes and Harbor Show you got a uh, eight. It's uh, I, I see here uh, Maine's biggest in the water boat show. Yeah, uh, eighty boats in the water. I mean uh, everybody from Hinckley, the brand new Morris uh, forty-two day boat. Um, Ellis, uh, Stanley's, everybody you can think of, I guess, will have yeah, a boat in the water it, there. Yep, and,
3: yeah, and, it, and it, we've got uh, some really intriguing uh, brand-new boats. Uh, French and Webb from Belfast have got their new uh, extraordinarily fast and beautiful day sailor. They launched like two weeks ago. It raced in the Agamog and Reach Regatta and finished third in its class. Which
1: Chuck is, Payne design Chuck too, Chuck Payne
3: Yep, and uh, not too bad for a boat that hasn't been tuned up. And uh, on the other end of the timescale, but in the same theme, uh, Alec Brainerd of Artisan Boatworks in Rockport is launching a brand new Dark Harbor, or Manchester 17, however you want to call it, which uh, was designed originally back in about nineteen six, I think. So uh, we've got uh, people have been wanting elegant day sailors on the coast of Maine for a long time, and we've got two of the most extraordinary examples of it. Uh, You know, state-of-the-art, 21st century thinking of it, and uh, state-of-the-art, almost 19th century thinking of it. So they'll both be there and brand spanking new.
1: Well, everybody loves a good boat show, but I see here there's 2,200 feet of dock space, and that can make for some good dock walking. Oh, it's unbelievable. And what better than to walk down the dock on a good summer's day among all them pretty boats, and uh, that's my vision right there.
3: Yeah, well, the thing that's also... very cool about the show is that uh, we've got great music, we've got great food, we've got great furniture makers, we've got great artists, and it's just this unbelievable celebration of uh, creativity on the coast of Maine. I mean, it's just, you know, I started out thinking it was going to be a boat show, but it, you know, when you start thinking about all the creative discipline that go into building a boat and there's spin-offs like guys who used to be boat builders who are now custom furniture makers who are artists i mean it really is the, the unbelievable number of really talented people on the coast of maine coming together for a weekend and uh i'm very proud of all of them
1: now maine boats homes and harbors there's a mouthful there you started that yourself uh you're the editor-in-chief yeah it's uh I w- I'd say it's a Maine Coast Lifestyle magazine. Uh, it encompasses the whole thing. and
3: Yeah, we started it, it. Next year will be our 20th year, and I started it. Its original name was Maine Boats and Harbors, but we ran into a little difficulty with a copyright holder last year. We won't go into the details, but we do have a new name, Maine Boats Homes and Harbors. But I started it 20 years ago. Uh, I was out in my wonderful little ray hunt, powerboat that had been built for the Episcopalian Bishop of Boston in the early 60s. And we were with another couple. We were eating great food. This other couple were a bunch of artists. We were looking at the summer home architecture in North Haven and the North Haven dinghy sailed by. And then a couple of porpoises crossed our bow. And I said, whoa, those are all the components of the magazine I want to do. I mean, we got boats and history and wildlife and architecture and art and food. And it was so that's what you know main boats homes and harbors magazine is about and the show in rockland is uh you know we call it you know main boats homes and harbors live
1: one of my favorite parts of the magazine is the boatyard dog uh of the month column there and and there's a boatyard dog world championship uh something called the pup cup
3: yeah the pup cup you know um the, I added the, the Boatyard Dog to the first issue of the magazine. I, uh, That's
1: genius, man. Good for well, you.
3: Well, it was. Um, I didn't want to write a long editorial. I mean, if you look where it is, it takes up half the page where uh, in other magazines I'd have to fill it up with, you know, my pearls of wisdom, which I don't have many. So running a picture of a dog kind of, you know, brings you down a peg, like that old vaudeville thing, you know, you don't want to go on after the trained dogs. Well, I did. I wanted to go on after the trained dogs. And uh, so we decided when we did the show that we had to have the Boatyard Dogs involved. And, uh, you know, the thing that people have to remember is you can't bring your dog to the show. These dogs in the competition have been pre-selected, and our liability issues with our insurance company uh, forbids us to have dogs on the site. So, uh, you know, come watch uh, and train your dog for entering in the competition
1: next year. These are can- uh, special canine athletes, and I guess uh, WERU's own Carlton Johnson and his big old Newfie will not be defending their title, but you've got six good dogs here. It oh, says yeah. here, yeah. there's uh, sorta of, You know, at the Lobster Festival, they have the crate race, the kids that run across the lobster crates, and this mm-hmm. is just designed to be obviously good, wet fun. Yeah. And it says there's uh, an obstacle courses, including dinghy hopping, three rules... Uh, Either the dog or the handler must finish completely soaked. Mm-hmm. Cheating is not only tolerated but encouraged, and right. there are, are no other rules. That's right,
3: exactly. And uh, we had uh, one of our groups of competitors had a uh, float in the lobster festival parade. So, I mean, the people who, are, who get involved in this have figured out the spirit. I mean, it is just supposed to be fun. So uh, I look forward to it every year. Frankly, I never get to see it.
1: When's that happen, the boat yard. That, that uh, happened
3: Sunday morning at right. 10 o'clock, just as the gates open. Uh, I guess it really starts about 10.30. But it is a, it's a terrific treat, and it's a, it brings the crowds in early on a Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it gives people a chance to laugh, which we all need more all right.
1: opportunities to do. The rest of the time, there's all those other tents full of stuff, lifestyle stuff, boats, yep, uh, yep. vendors. Uh, one of the cool food, things. lobster, music, games. It says here, and uh,
3: yeah, one of the cool things that we did that uh, was we made a model pond uh, that we have on site, and it's uh, I think it's about twenty by twenty and it's about a foot deep, and it is. And then we have a site next to that where children can build their own uh, sailboat models and play in the model pond, and it is fabulous. Um, we were hoping to have a model uh, electric-powered lobster boat race in it, but I don't know what, whether or not that's going to come off or not. It kind of like roller derby. It's so small in there.
1: Good fun <laughs> for kids and other adults. Of all ages. Yeah. Pretty cool, John. It says here, information, 236-8622, that's or right. mainboats.com. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with that. Uh, uh, said in the paper he had like 12,000 people last year. I mean, this is a big deal.
3: It is a big deal.
1: And Millions of dollars worth of shiny boats, uh, you know, and like, say, the fabulous dock walking opportunity there. Yeah,
3: and uh, the great thing is, is the, you know, there's a number of really good people who are uh, employed in making these shiny yachts. I mean, there are a lot of really talented men and women who are making things uh, and things that they should be proud of, so... So we're we're really excited. Come on down.
1: The only problem I have with your magazine, John, the fellow I used to cap him for, he gave it to me every year for Christmas, and I don't get it anymore. I'd like somebody else to send me a subscription, please. <laughs> <laughs> I've always enjoyed it. Well, you
3: know, there is one that's in the uh, WERU office.
1: Yeah. No, I sneak that all the time, thanks, but I'd like uh, somebody to send me that again. Yeah. Well, that hey, good job. Cool. All right. Thanks a lot, Mike. I hope to see you over the weekend. Yep. John Hansen, publisher of Maine Boats, Homes, and Harbors magazine down to Camden.
2: You know, uh, John, speaking about that model boat um, showing that they have down there, it reminds me that on the 13th of this month, there is an actual model boat regatta uh, that's being sponsored and held by the Great Harbor Museum, um, Maritime Museum of Northeast Harbor, and it's at Little Long Pond in Seal Harbor. Oh, excellent. And, And they bring these fantastic models of boats Many of them powered, some sail, and uh, you just—it's a, it's a wonderful sight to see these boats, the replicas, and the, and the amount of work that goes into them as well, and to see them sail on their own is kind of—that's a, a little long pond in Seal Harbor. That's uh,
1: one reason I guess we're—I'm sitting here this morning anyway. There were no video games when I grew up, and well, all we had was sticks and puddles, and right. uh, we made good use of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boat talk this morning: one eight six 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 two five. Nine three seven eight is uh we'll contemplate anything naval you're talking about it again it's the it's the time right now it's high August it doesn't get any better than this apparently, and um, hopefully you're out having some kind of marine enjoyment,
0: whether you're just looking at the water or bobbing on it well, while we're talking about models, I can sort of shift over to a uh, a couple of articles I picked up one sent to us by a listener um, we uh, occasionally. Go into a strange vessel department and uh, the school bus going transatlantic is probably the prime example. We'll of see. We we'll talk see. about that it's, on occasion, yeah. yeah. Um, in Soundings, I came across a, a fellow in Italy, his name uh, Livio de Marchi, uh, who makes boats. They're actually boats, but they're made from wood and they look like cars. He started out making a, a full-size 1937 Jaguar with an inboard engine to go around the uh, canals of Venice and then had so much a a, a good response to that that he's actually made, uh, after the Jaguar, he carved a, a Fiat Topolino, a Mercedes 300SL, a 1964 Volkswagen Beetle, and most recently a, a Ferrari F250. These are all... Look, there's a picture of the Ferrari right here. It looks quite nice. looks all like varni- everything varnished is cedar. varnished wood. Yeah, but it's got you know headlights and grills and all that sort of stuff. And he uh, toodles around with a, a single-cylinder Yamaha uh, powering these little vessels. That's a good-looking hunk of varnish there. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, second strange vehicle on the water, this is sent to us by Lee from Penobscot. Thank you, Lee. Uh, there's a fellow in who was in Cuba who converted a... Um, I forget the year, a Ford, no, a Chevy. A Chevy, then a uh, Buick to yeah. uh cross from truck. Cuba to, you know, right. the uh, Florida. The, the truck he made it to within about 40 miles of the coast when the Coast Guard uh, plane spotted them. So the Coast Guard intercepted them, um, took them off the truck, and then sank the truck and took the folks back to Gu- Guantanamo, where they were uh, sent back to Cuba. And then when he went back to Cu- or in, in Cuba proper, he said well I'm going to try it again and he came across a, um, an old Buick that a old floated old Buick. even better
1: than the truck didn't yeah, the, need
0: any extra flotation apparently yeah, went the, quite good the Buick uh, um, had a transfer case that they ran a propeller off of and they hooked uh, cables to his tie rods that ran back to a rudder so he could steer the thing and he made it to within 10 miles of the United States coast and was picked up again and we're not sure what they feel about Fidel's situation at the present time but perhaps they'll be the long, uh, the short story is that after the second time he was uh, uh, deported, I guess the word is to Costa Rica, and from Costa Rica he uh, came up through Mexico into the United States again, and this time applied for asylum. So he is here now, um, okay. and, and he's attempting to make a, another. Um, Car boat thing down in, in Miami where they're living now.
1: Lee, uh, thanks for sending us out. so out of Car and Driver magazine. Yeah. So there's your boat talk. Somebody's yeah. waiting on the telephone here, and and you can call to one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Good morning, welcome to Boat Talk. Uh,
4: howdy, it's Gray over in Hancock. Hi, Gray. Interesting show. Uh, I'm gonna change topics a little bit from the last comments. Uh, talk about wildlife and and marine boating. I, uh, I often go out canoeing in the full, at the full moon uh, on the Skilling's River here over in Hancock. It's it's really lovely. We see seals and all kinds of stuff. But occasionally, um, I'll be uh, going along, and and all of a sudden, a large bird will fly by at about like five or ten feet over the water, uh, going pretty pretty good clip. And I have heard somewhere stories about people getting skewered by night herons and things, which don't see that well in the dark. Apparently, even though they fly around in the dark. And I was wondering if anybody there had any uh, any comments, stories, information about uh, aerial naval encounters at night with wildlife in uh, around here.
1: The raw faith people had a uh, seagull intersect with their wind generator. And uh, neither the seagull or the wind generator came out of that very nicely. Um, they've repaired the wind generator. Apparently, the seagull won't be repaired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was this at night? Um, no, I would uh, have no idea, but I wouldn't think so. But yeah, uh, no uh, birds run into things all the time. Apparently, that's a problem with uh, uh, wind generators. They they worry about putting on uh, mountains, let alone. Uh, wires that hold up radio mass and stuff, you know? So, yeah. yeah it can I happen. Th-
4: I was thinking particularly at night, because uh, I can't see. And, you know, it, in the daytime you can see it coming, you can duck your head, but you know, if there's a, a large heron or something flying around at night, I believe the birds I've seen have been blue herons.
1: I guess that's the, uh, you know... So uh, I- Let's face it, Gray. The who else is out there at night? <laughs> <Yeah. off? laughs>
4: ne- you never know. Anyway, do we have your so heart maybe, night on? Maybe uh, somebody will call in and tell. So yeah,
2: I've heard a fair number of stories in my life, but I never have heard of uh, somebody being skewered by a heron. There's no, some other no. activities that a heron might do on you, but. Uh, <laughs> not, not sticking you with it. Okay, though. well then I won't worry
1: too much. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I guess you have to just obviously take extra precautions when you go out at night.
2: Maybe a helmet. or something. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
4: How about a full Kevlar armor, yep. body armor, there, tennis
1: be. racket, uh, a bell or whistle, maybe, <laughs> so they'll uh, hear you coming. I don't know.
4: That's the All way it is goes. with
1: boating. No matter where you are, you're likely to get a bill.
4: That's where we do it. Oh, he done it. He done it again. <laughs> oh, here he goes.
1: Very slyly punny this morning. Okay. Thanks, man. I
4: can see you're at the beak of your form. Uh, Goodbye. <laughs>
1: Bye. one <laughs> 625 We're doing uh, Boat Talk this morning. Uh, subject of raw faith came up, a perennial uh, interest around Boat Talk now. Uh, talking to uh, Giffy Full again, who uh, often sits in here, the old uh, uh, classic marine surveyor. Giphy, um and some of the people that he knows are, are a little uh, worn out on the raw faith subject, but I've got other feedback. Uh, somebody called me at home a while ago and uh, says, you got to check out the website. There's all these uh, uh, wild letters on the website, and uh, there's all this criticism going on on the website and stuff. And you got to check this out. And uh, it may not stay there long, and in fact, it was removed from the website, the critical letters. Talk to George uh, McKay, the captain and builder of raw faith down in uh, Rockland yesterday. Um, they are just uh, kind of hanging in the harbor there. They have uh, basically no funds. They need, you know, fifteen twenty thousand dollars to remast the boat. Anyway, they just uh, they have a DVD of a uh, film made of the boat. And uh, this is from George. He just sent it off to somebody in Hollywood. Maybe uh, that can be used as a fundraiser. Maybe somebody would like to film the raw faith story. Uh, you know. So anyway, they need to crank up the fundraising. The uh, comments were exercised from the website because uh, George felt they were just a little personal. Um, so anyway, that's the story on that. And, and George also uh, says that anything you would like to ask him, all you've got to do is uh, the, the website is rawfaith.com. And there's a, um, a section there called Ask the Captain. And uh, ask George anything you want, and he'll be glad to speak to anybody about raw faith so there's the raw faith update and they did have a seagull smucked into their wind generator and they had to build themselves new blades but i guess it's recharging the batteries now so there
0: well yep (laughs) i have one one question i'll throw right out to george right now if he's listening um he does need a fair amount of money. He says, I believe, seventeen thousand dollars to remast the boat. I think it's going to be much higher than that because now the Coast Guard has uh, declared that the rig that they put on the boat will have to pass uh, uh, inspection of a surveyor. So that would, would be uh, quite a quite a big project for a boat that size. I'm wondering why uh, would that huge amount of money that he's going to need to spend on the boat, why would uh, consider just selling that boat and using the money from that to buy something a little smaller and more manageable so that he could, the ultimate goal is to be able to take handicapped people on the water and if he could make a project that would be a little bit more easily uh, achieved, I think maybe that goal would be a better goal
1: Yep, um, fair point I would point out that you can never discount the bond between a man and a boat, especially a man who built the boat and uh, you know you've got to factor that in as well there's other ways, obviously, to take uh, handicapped people out sailing. I have my uh, wonderful uh, World's Longest Canoe hat with me this uh, this month, and last month we had uh, Howard Whitten from Nokomis High who uh, just helped build the World's Longest Canoe, but they did that in an effort to uh, fit out a pontoon boat with a uh, motor to take people out fishing, hunting, and just uh, out on the lake, hmm. um, you know, which is a lovely thing, so... Um, there There are all kinds of ways to uh to do that. I would say um you know we 've talked about the raw faith uh thing on boat talk. Um, some of the best details are kind of personal, and you know uh boy that 's tricky business, so we kind of don 't go there but the raw faith story has has a lot of dimensions and um, um, I would uh point out that george uh, his his life has been changed by this boat. this whole uh, call to build the boat he gave up his career, he put his life savings into it and it has literally changed his life and you can 't discount that when you go making suggestions about how you ought to uh you know uh, make big changes in the in the big change so mm-hmm. so tricky business and George is out in uh, Rockland Harbor. I recommend anybody uh, you know say hello to him He's, uh, I like George and uh, George has, uh, he's got a boat problem, he's got some people problems, and, uh, you know, best of luck, he's got money problems, too. So, raw faith, and we will be talking, hopefully, to Bert Snow down to, uh, Rockland and, and, uh, you know, ten minutes or so, but in the meantime, Dennis, um, if we had to hear and didn't mention the uh, boat school down to Eastport, we'd be very, very remiss. Mm. That's another great subject about the uh, uh, around boat talk here. And uh, very simply, the way I put it over and over again is we have world-class boat building industry in the state of Maine. We have a, just a great reputation. And uh, on the other hand, inside the state of Maine, I don't know that we all get that. And, and the world-class boat builders here often can't find good help. Locally, and uh, what happens is that a lot of people move here to be Maine boat builders. That's wonderful, but uh, there are good jobs here. It is a manufacturing sector of the economy that's expanding in the state of Maine. Good, good. I mean, (laughs) good golly, name another one.
2: No, you're absolutely Good right. Good
1: jobs with adventure and, and yep. yachts and, uh, you know, interesting people in them. And, uh, you know, so we've got this boat school down in Eastport that just ended up almost drying up on the vine and blowing away in the last year or two. Um, you know, why wouldn't that be a big focus of, of, of uh, you know, the government supporting that? And what, in fact's happening now because there have been big changes down there?
2: Well, there have been, and and everything you say is absolutely correct, Mike. The the manufacturing portion of that, our manufacturing economy is growing in boat building. It's not growing in shoes or textiles or any of the other traditional um, manufacturing modes that we have had. Even our pulp and paper is um, tenuous, I think. Um, We have to keep that going. But the... um, Issue with boat building, it does employ um, thousands of people. They're good jobs. They're craftsman jobs. And we have right here in this listening area probably the epicenter of the boat building um, manufacturing portion of our right. – uh, uh, right here in the what I refer to as the coastal crescent of Hancock County, uh, Mount Desert Island from the Scudic Peninsula and all the way to, the, to Blue Hill and Stonington. Um, that's really a concentration of boat builders that's not – Matched anywhere else in the state, though up and down the state, we have fine boat building facilities. The whole from, length from, the, from Point everything. right I'm now. I'm just to saying Eastport. that there seems to be a critical mass of them right in this area. Yeah. So we have head started uh, some time ago this boat school in Eastport, which was part of at that point, I guess, Washington County, County Technical, technical College. College. Yes. All of the technical colleges have been replaced by community colleges, and and in an effort to. Um, from an administrative standpoint, to keep the program going, um, they were going to scale it back from the site in Eastport and bring it up to Calais. Um, that was done for efficiencies and not cost as much as anything else. So in this legislative session, uh, we actually came up with three issues that were to help this program and keep it um, viable. One was in the supplemental budget where 75 thousand dollars went to the marine trades program the second was uh came out of the governor's office himself where he put in somewhere over two hundred thousand dollars to make sure that the e facility stayed open and as i've learned just this morning before coming over here it is the intention of the community college to keep that facility site open Good. um and finally a um $25,000 um uh, a law that includes $25,000, which directs the, the Department of Economic and Community Development to work with the following groups, Washington County Community College, the City of Eastport, the University of Maine System, Maine Maritime Academy, Husson College, Friends of the Boat School, and Maine Marine and Trades Association, to work with them to develop a strategy for the uh, future of uh, marine boat building and that particular school. They have to have a report back to the legislature by this law says february first, two thousand seven, so that's when we go back in.
1: Try to figure out the best boat school that can be can be had down there. Here here's the here's the
2: rub. It's a great facility and it's located at the end of our coast. And so there are potential students who might live at the other end of the coast who might find it inconvenient to have to go to that facility. Yet that has that is a facility that provides the tools and the experiences that one would need, presumably, to go into the trade. If there could be some way where that facility and the Washington County Community College could meet with the industry and perhaps um, uh, provide training at other off-site locations, maybe at a maybe at a um, wooden boat school. A, does a, that. they have yes? yes. That Find out what what a particular um, company needs or companies need, and then set up a a, um, a training opportunity for them in a location other than in Eastport but continue to have the Eastport um, facility available for those who do want to come there and stay there for the two-year program. That seems to be the flexibility that people are talking about. That could give us the the um, the need that we have and, and to supply those needs. I had a great conversation with, with one of the leading boat builders on Mount Desert Island recently because he was thinking about having a, a um, similar operation right here on Mount Desert Island and have it be just supported by the, the boat-building community here
1: locally. Get himself some apprentices going. Ab-
2: absolutely yeah. right, himself and also the others in this critical mass that I've talked to you right. about. I said to him, I think that that's a wonderful idea. Why don't you see if you can mesh that with what I've just talked about, the Washington County Community College, their boat-building program, and bring it in so that we have now something that's a more coherent um, training program. And that meets the needs of the industry. It's no—it's no good to be training people to do one part of the uh, boat building um, trade if there isn't a call for it. Yeah. We've got to be responsive to where the need is. and I, So I think that with what we did, I was uh, pleased to be able to sponsor some of this legislation and to speak to it on the floor and uh, and get it passed. And so with what we've done, I hope we can give it that boost.
1: Well, we're going to move on to talking to a, a former boatyard owner in a minute down in Rockland, but uh, one more point on the way here. Giffy Full um, asked me to kind of throw in, and, and you sort of brought it up um, esports kind of an isolated um you know location it really is and um you know it's also not what you'd call an exciting town for college students uh, so to speak which is another you got to factor that yeah, stuff do. in you know you know um students uh, i know they've gone to the boat school have, have felt a little stranded down there in some ways and so, yeah, that's an interesting thing to, uh, uh, you know, satellite it around. Uh, more locations. Why not?
2: But at um, the same time, I don't want it to be simply that uh, everybody is going to go somewhere else to get training. No,
1: and we do yeah. want to support esports. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, God, we love eSport.
2: It, and you can get there from here. Yes. Uh, it might be inconvenient sometime, but you can. And uh, quite frankly, if you're going there to get an education about uh, being a boat builder and potentially a master boat builder, then what better place to be without any distractions, you know? Could
1: I, uh, funny story brag, on the way out here, I have a very strange uh, uh, take on on the isolation to Eastport. I've been down there six or eight times as boat captain. I take the boat down, and then the boat owner flies in in his private jet Mm. to the Eastport airstrip, and then I fly out. So I've been to eSport every year for the last bunch of years, but I've never driven there. I I arrive by (laughs) yacht and I leave by private jet. And there is the, I mean, it's not isolated in that way at all, is it?
2: Nor are we in Maine in in terms of the rest of the world and our economy. And that's that's an interesting way that you bring that up, but that's the way I have to look at it. And I'd like to try to get people to look at Maine's future in terms of our economic development. It is not simply now if you can't get there on 95, you can't get there. There are all kinds of ways to get there, and there are ways to get there without leaving home. I'm talking about the internet and everything else, so. yeah
1: well, all very interesting uh we have uh Bert Snow on the phone here, don't we um, yes. Good morning, Bert, down to Rockland maine right Bert, you wrote a a book here I found at the library in the Ellsworth Library, and apparently it's uh what do we got here? We've got a uh, number two hundred and something of a thousand uh, edition uh Limited edition uh, series here. It's called The Main Beam, an informal history of documented vessels built at Rockland, Maine, from 1795 to 2005. It's got a picture of the uh, clipper ship red jacket on the cover. I, I saw this book, my eyes lit up. But when I first grabbed it, I initially thought that it was like an encyclopedic listing of all the boats and would have been kind of dry. And then I saw that it has stories about all the boats and the people, too not to mention the town of Rockland, and uh, your family boatyard. So uh, you come from uh, the Snow family boatyard there. What what possessed you to write this book, Bert?
5: Well, people uh, kept asking me, uh, where is the history of shipbuilding in Rockland? And at the time, I talked to Sid Cullen, who was the editor of the Courier Gazette, local newspaper. He says, there is none. So I figured, well, I guess... I better put something together, and that's what I did.
1: Couldn't be much of a job to figure out all the boats uh, documented in Rockland from 1795 to 2005. How'd you go about that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot of boats.
5: Well, I went through all the uh, newspapers. Took me a long time. I was was three years putting it uh, together.
1: No kidding. And uh, you must have had that all organized on computer and stuff.
5: Yeah, a little bit.
1: Yeah, and... As you uh, were assembling the, you know, the dry facts, I guess you come upon a lot of stories, didn't you? Right. Yep. Yeah. Not to mention the history of Rockland, starting uh, pretty much with the settlement of a, you know, beautiful spot for a harbor. Right. And uh, of course, it's uh, changing all the time. It's grown up uh, nowadays. It's kind of a yacht harbor and a, a yep. tourist destination in so many ways. That wasn't perhaps the uh, the way it was a few years back. You're also former Rockland harbor master, weren't you? Right. And uh, Snow's Shipyard, as you run the boatyard as well. Right. Yeah. Yep. There's did you, a,
5: ever, you know, did you ever learn how the town of Owl, Owl's Head got named?
1: No, I don't. You want to hear it? Yeah, how oh, yeah. would that be, Bert?
5: <laughs> okay, way back when the Indians were paddling their canoes, they'd come down the Penobscot uh, River and out into the bay. They would stay over by the islands where, if it got rough, they could go in behind for protection. And there was a peninsula of land that would, was projecting out from uh, southwest to northeast. And they kept coming down until the end of that peninsula looked like an owl's head. And that's how it got named.
1: And that's what uh, good navigators, on, you know, coastal navigators do. They pick out features and they, right. and they mark them, yep. you know. Yep. Now, you grew up in the, in the family shipyard there. There's a picture in the book of you standing on the deck of a boat being launched in 1936 right. or so. Right. Have you, uh, have you gone to sea or have much uh, time on the water? What else, you know? No, uh,
5: never went to sea other than going across the Pacific during the war.
1: You uh, ended up running the the family shipyard there. One of my favorite stories, speaking of World War II, there's a uh, diary in here of a uh, man who was a Coast Guard crewman on a uh, wooden dragger, about a 100-foot wooden dragger, built at the Snow Shipyard in Rockland, Maine. These uh, draggers were taken for the Greenland Patrol in World War II. He kept a diary, which was not a proper thing to do, but when his chief found it, I guess he read it and let him keep it, and that... That just blew me away, Bert. Boy, I love that story of those uh, uh, draggers converted for, uh, again, use off of Greenland there. Right. Those boats had some hard use.
5: That's right. Oh, yeah. Yep.
1: They, uh, also, uh, there's a part in there where they uh, visited around with some of the other local, uh, 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 you know, other draggers that were built not, not in the shipyard at Rockland, not at your family shipyard, and they compared, as, as sailors will, each other's boats. And the boys on the Rockland uh, boats, I guess, uh, pretty near, immediately found out they were on the best-built boats in the bunch by, by a long shot. And it oh, was, sure. yeah. they said, kind of obvious as well. Yeah. My favorite sure. story there is uh, two of the draggers were um, up over the top of Greenland. They were getting iced up awful bad, headed back towards Boston. And uh, the boat our guy was on had an uh, Icelandic uh, skipper, Magni Magnuson. Right. And uh, they were beating ice to, uh, you know, try to save themselves. Everything was yep. ice six foot thick on the pilot house, trying to poke a hole to see out right. to steer from. Yep. And the other Rockland-built boat, they didn't see the boys uh, chipping ice, and they didn't ever see the boys again.
5: Well, they was ordered to come down through uh, a certain strait of, of water, and the wind came up, and a lot of that fresh water coming out of the St. Lawrence was blowing up on the uh, boats, and they were just iced up. So the captain of the North Star uh, went down to that boat. He said, look, I'm getting out of here. I'm going out around Newfoundland on the east side of it where I can chop ice. Well, the other guy said, no, I'm going to maintain the the orders that I've got.
1: Yeah, the Navy didn't want him to go over there for whatever reason.
5: Right, so anyway, uh, he iced up and rolled over and sunk with 23 men on board. Oh, dear. And the North Star went out around Newfoundland and came down uh, along the coast of Maine under full throttle. And he went by the guide boat that guided uh, Boston Harbor. Uh, he didn't stop for them. He went right in.
1: They, were, sure, got they a hold of were pulling the, the submarine nets together and they all about to collide there, but they weren't going to stay out of the harbor that last night, were they? No,
5: no. So he got a hold of the admiral and told him what happened to the uh, Belmont. Yep.
1: And that boat, when it came back, the one who uh, raced through the submarine net there and uh, violated the quarantine, uh, didn't apparently have an ounce of paint on it when they got back in. The boys weren't <laughs> looking, uh, you know, anything less than shaggy woolly mammoths and... And uh, they had a three by three foot patch of lead in the bow where it had yep. been stove in by ice, but it wasn't leaking on the bunk. So you know, off they went. Yep. And yep. Uh, they come back just in hard, hard shape, I guess. But the boat, uh, again built in the Snow Family Shipyard, was uh, you know it was good for it.
5: Right. Good. Yeah. Yep.
1: What's What's uh, happening down to the shipyard site nowadays, Bert? Bert? Uh,
5: they do a lot of repair work and uh, on steel and wood boats. Yep.
1: Giffy was asking me, uh, Giffy Full uh, sits in with us here quite a bit. Uh, are, how are you related to John Snow?
5: Which John?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh dear, couldn't tell you. Well, so, let's see. Used to uh, uh, do some salvage and repair at the shipyard. John there. I.
5: John I. Snow. That he would be the only, one, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mentioned a, a burn uncle.
1: boat that they saved and redecked over and.
5: Yeah, For instance, he was, a, he was a brother to my grandfather, Richard K. Snow.
1: Okay, but the snow's kind of thick down there, obviously. Yeah. 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 Rockland's changed quite a bit over the years. How do you, how do you think about the way Rockland's grown up?
5: I, I think it's all for the good, you know, the, the long term, yeah.
1: Bert, this is just an absolutely wonderful book. It has... Um, like I say, a lot of brow- I've just been browsing in it. I gave it to Alan uh, to look at, and I was kind of very upset I didn't get back quick enough. And I'm can't wait to browse some more. Tell us, uh, if you will, about Red Jacket uh, again. Uh, you know, very famous boat built in uh, Rockland, Maine.
5: Right. Yep. She uh, she still holds the record of going across the Atlantic. She left uh, Pier Five in the East River, New York. 13 days, 1 hour and 25 minutes to Liverpool. That still
1: holds. And a fairly uh, long, lean boat. Um, You know, the hull built, uh, obviously, for speed, you know, narrow. Yeah. Flat aft, you know, uh, meant to kind of skim on the water as much as through. Well,
5: actually, actually she was drawing 26 feet when when she went across.
1: That's not on the water, that's in it.
5: Yeah, she was deep.
1: Yeah. Interesting, and a big Uh, press of sail.
5: In the Rockland Historical Society uh, building, there is a half model of her hull. That model is, uh, oh boy, it must be six, seven, eight feet long. Yeah.
1: Interesting. Seventeen ninety-five to two thousand and five. How many uh, commercial documented vessels are we talking about? Uh, you know, more or less in the in the main beam book here.
5: I don't know. No idea.
1: Boy, a lot though. Just again, Bert. I, I, uh, you know, couldn't wait to talk to you once I found this book here. Just an absolutely wonderful job you've done putting these stories together and all this information, and just an absolutely fascinating read. Well, thank uh, you. Again, I got mine at the library, and I'd recommend to anybody. Uh, you know, you uh, like anything with a boat in it, you will find this just fascinating.
5: Well, the reading, the uh, reading corner on Main Street got them for sale.
1: How is this? Uh, you know. Uh, how do I put this uh what kinda what kinda influence was doing this job on your on your life? There must have been quite a different kinda task for you to undertake.
5: Well, I dunno, uh I felt it should be, you know, put together because there was no history of, of a complete uh shipbuilding here. Yeah. You know? mm.
1: Again, just wonderful. Bert Snow this morning from Rockland, Maine, uh, which also, as we mentioned before, is the site of the Maine Boats, Harbors, and Homes uh, magazine show this weekend, big boat show down at the Harbor Park, uh, you know, yep. the old uh, shipyard, I guess, just to the, to the west of that a little bit, and yep. Rockland uh, Harbor with uh, hundreds and hundreds of pleasure boats and happy people in it. Oh, yeah. Uh, what a wonderful thing. Hey, thanks for uh, talking to us this morning, Bert. You're Welcome.
0: I think we should take advantage of Dennis while we still have him in the last few minutes. To talk about, um, down in Washington last week, there was a a, a Senate vote on uh, opening up the, I believe it's at least the East Coast, maybe all American waters, to uh, deep water drilling. And Senator Snow voted against it, citing that she was concerned about some of the uh, problems that it would make for the fishing industry. And Senator Collins voted for it, saying that she thought there was enough protections in that to uh, take care of the fishing industry.
1: Interestingly and topically enough, they've just uh, shut down the pipeline up on the north slope of Alaska because nobody's ever looked. They heard yeah. on the news this morning, nobody's looked at it for seven years. It has, it has corrosion problems. Yeah. They haven't even inspected it for seven years. What could go wrong? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, uh, but not that oil is a uh, you know important topic uh, nowadays, but... So this uh, offshore drilling, are we talking oil and or natural gas? And do we have such a thing in the Gulf of Maine just starting at home and branching out?
2: First of all, I think we are. I think that the um, congressional bills do talk about oil and natural gas. And as I understand it, um, from discussions that were centered around this very uh, topic, maybe as long as 20 years ago, there supposedly are um, vast supplies of oil and or natural gas out under George's Bank and, and in other areas off the coast of Maine, in the Gulf of Maine.
1: Well, we are hardly <laughs> using it for fishing anymore.
2: Well, I don't know. Sorry, that I, I was would, a bad I would, joke. I would, I would debate that.
1: I apologize, but I have to. <laughs>
2: um, and I, you know, I, I haven't read, I'll tell you up front, I haven't read the bills in their detail, but any time that we're, um, we seem to have the philosophy or the mentality of just aggressively going after more oil or natural gas by punching more holes in the ground um, it makes me nervous
1: every time I get more I spend faster well, personally you, you know
2: there you go I might I might suggest that we put some of that <clears throat> pardon me some of that effort some of that money some of that technology into um, seeing what we can do to conserve some of that oil whether it be in developing alternative energy uh, sources are, uh, are conserving what we are using right now. I mean, there are those among us, I hope not at this table, but maybe in our listening audience, who would say we don't need to conserve. There's plenty of oil. There's plenty of gas. All we get a to do just... Punch another hole in the ground and go get it.
1: Well, and I don't happen to agree with that. Let's face it, there's people who have, uh, let's say, waterfront estates who uh, are all in favor of drilling in Alaska but don't want an oil rig out in their front yard that's that, or that, a windmill, apparently. <clears throat>
2: that's that NIMBY, not in my backyard, philosophy, and I don't caught into that either. Yeah, but, tricky business. Uh, the the issue with the Gulf of Maine, from my perspective, and I think from the from the history of the state, I know from the history of the state that it is providing a, a, an economic income for thousands of people, and it has for generations, and it's part of the fabric of the life of Maine.
1: Maine was built on it.
2: Absolutely. Yep. We talked about a lot about boat building today, um, not quite so much about commercial fishing, but, of course, that preceded. Uh, when, when, when the explorers came to this country looking for gold and silver, they found instead riches like codfish, and uh, those are the areas that were were exploited, and those are the areas that have continued to provide us with food and an economy. We've got, we got about 70, $750 million annually that the commercial fisheries of Maine uh, injects into our economy. Now, that's not the biggest part of our economy, but it's also not anything to be sneezed at. And I don't want to risk that economy by damaging that ecosystem, which is so fragile to begin with, by... Um, well, a, a corroded pipe and, a, yeah. and oil. I mean, hmm. it's not beyond the realm of possibility, and yet we're told over and over again, oh, no, we have the safeguards in place. This will never happen. And then we see something happen like this, what, like what just happened up in Prudhoe Bay. And I don't want it happening here I, I, because the recovery from that kind of a ecological disaster is just uh, – it, I don't know that it ever recovers yeah. from it. So – uh, my father used to give me some sage advice. He was a fisherman and a boat builder. and I was almost going to bring his name up to Bert because it seems as though they may have crossed paths once in a while. But he would say when I would be getting three quarters fierce and a quarter smart and want to do something, yeah. he'd say, "Why don't you? When you're in a hurry, why don't you go slow?" And that's not bad advice. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a good idea at the time, and then upon reflection, oh, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. But we we have this something coming out of uh, Washington or our federal government that says we've got to drill, we've got to drill, we've got to get more oil because it's there. We need it. We want to we rid ourselves of the dependency of foreign oil. Well, it isn't by domestic oil that we're going to rid ourselves of that dependency. We ought to try looking at some other way to
1: power our vehicles and use our energy. Yes. Senator uh, Dennis Damon and... Uh, We'd like to thank him for coming in this morning. Apparently, we've worn out the Boat Talk Hour here. we got
0: to pack away the sails for one more month. So this is Alan Sprague saying goodbye for Boat Talk.